everybody, and welcome back to From Complex to Queens, Amazing Avenue's modeling podcast. I am Steve Saipa, and I'm joined this week by Lucas Vlahos, Ken Lavin, and Thomas Henderson. How are you guys doing? I'm doing well. Good. Very good. The weather is lovely today. It's no long, we, we've hit that nice uh, sweet spot of hot enough, but not so hot you want to die. Pretty sure I wanted to die earlier today. <laughs> Same. No, it's, not, it's not that bad. Well, I did just basically go out to move my car, uh-huh. and and uh, not great. That's one thing I do not miss from the summer life growing up is having to go out to the hot as fuck car in the middle of the summer. <laughs> yep. 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 Especially old ones that didn't have great AC, which. Most high schoolers, myself included, drove. Not great. I'm nearing thirty, and I, I still drive one of those. So <laughs> the solution, I, the the solution to that problem I found is just live in the city, and no one drives. True. All right. So promote extend trade, and on this date back in 1997. So I think I think we were all born. Yes, I yeah. was three. Yes. All right. So, <laughs> well, on this date back in 1997, Mike Tyson and Evander Holyfield had a rematch for the uh, boxing heavyweight championship at the MGM Grand in Las Vegas, and things very famously went awry, and instead of a, a good, clean, exciting fight, uh, Mike Tyson got disqualified for biting Evander Holyfield off, ears off. So anyone who paid for that fight definitely did not get their money's worth. So with that in mind, what other sporting events did not live up to the hype? What are we going to promote, extend, or trade here? Oh, boy. So first we have UFC 203, where former professional wrestler CM Punk got choked out in like two minutes after a lot of hype because of his past history as a wrestler and becoming UFC fighter. Next, we have the 2007 World Series. It was the Rockies versus the Red Sox. And the Rockies, you know, steamrolled through everybody to get there. They went on that crazy 21-game winning streak, and then they just lost to the Red Sox, one, two, three. Matt Holliday still hasn't touched home base, by the way. (laughs) No, he hasn't. And then, finally, we have Super Bowl forty-eight where the Denver Broncos got blown out 43-8 by the Seattle Seahawks from literally the first play of the game. The Onomaha. Oh, no, yeah. Are we, how are we, are we rating these, like, which one is the worst as the one we're extending, or the least disappointing as the one we're extending? Uh, however you want to go, doesn't really matter. What would, what would you, what would you say is the most disappointing to least? I think the Super Bowl is, just cause, like, it's the Super Bowl. Like, yeah. That was also game. supposed to be a very good game. Yeah, like, like good, the CM Punk offense. thing. Like most UFC fans were like, CM Punk is not going to actually do well, you know? <laughs> like, not. and with the World Series, like it's multiple games, so it's like you could kind of tell where it's going after like two. Sometimes, like if it's going to be a blowout like that, and the Rockies were fine. They weren't like as good as Boston was. I don't think. Um... But that Super Bowl was supposed to be, like, a really good and close game. And, like, 
first play, you were like, oh, Seattle's going to kill them. And that's what happened. <laughs> yeah, that was... Wait, uh, I, I, I find myself oddly not disappointed by any of these because, A, I don't care about the fight. Yeah. B, the Red Sox winning, they were the better team, and also Matt Holiday karma, so fine. <laughs> and C, as a Patriot fan, or more accurately, a Tom Brady fan, I'm a very casual fan. Yeah, yeah, boo me all you want. First Super Bowl I watched, I liked the colors more. I stuck with it when I was like four or whatever. It's fine. Uh, but I obviously am not the biggest Peyton Manning fan. So I found that Super Bowl quite enjoyable. I don't know what you guys are talking about. <laughs> like, yes, yes, yes. This should settle this Manning versus Brady debate once and for all. Not to mention, uh, uh, that was the year that the Patriots almost won in overtime in Denver in the AFC championship game with like, Literally everyone on the roster except Brady and Gronk hurt. Yeah. And Gronk had that crazy, like, over-the-shoulder catch on 4th and 20 to keep things going. So, yeah, screw the Broncos. Was that the year Tebow did, like, crazy stuff in the playoffs? Or is that post No, no, that's much earlier. Yeah, that's okay. earlier. I don't know. That was, that was before they got Peyton. Mm-hmm. That was even before Elway worked for them, I think. I could be wrong on that, though. I don't know. I think so, but I would have to look that up, and I I don't feel like it right now. No, I don't care enough. I I don't feel like connecting those dots because I'm gonna have to do multiple Wikipedia searches. Oh no no. <laughs> Weirdly, I'm now like rooting for the Broncos to be less incompetent because I love Jerry Judy and I'd like him to have a real quarterback. But you know, that's what's a great Wanderer Bay football quote. Yeah, Rocket football man. <laughs> Well, yeah, I'm going to have to agree with the Super Bowl being the most disappointing because just one game. And it's like two weeks of hype. Like, Oh, that's true, too. Because they have the off week in between, which um, to get everyone like kind of in the Super Bowl mood. So, like, I don't know. It always sucks when that game sucks. Unless you're a Seahawks. Unless you're the the team that you're a fan of the team that's winning by a blowout. And that was the years also over here, too, I think, right? Was that one? Because I know the Broncos played in two in that stretch, and I always mix up which one they won and which one was in New York. Like, I don't remember if they won here or not. But No, uh, they they, they played in 2013, won that one, then the Patriots won in 2014 against the Seahawks, and then it was Seahawks. No, wait, am I getting that wrong? I thought because Peyton Manning retired a Super Bowl champion because that was like a weird season with Brock Osweiler like playing a lot of games and then like, <laughs> to Wikipedia yeah. we go and then they benched him in the playoffs because he was not actually good. <laughs> well, in any case, all of these things pretty much sucked for a lot of people. <laughs> I mean, the people who went and saw Mike Tyson bite an ear off, you know, they got more of their money's worth than any of these yeah. other things. Like, that's a moment in history for Yeah, that is. Probably at the time, you're like, I really spent all this money for that. But, like, now, you're like, yeah, I was there. <laughs> I, was, I, saw Mike- I, was, I saw Mike Tyson bite a dude's ear off. <laughs> I heard the crunch. Oh, uh, why would there be a crunch? There's no bones in it. <laughs> I heard the crunch. <laughs> All right, well, moving on now to the CPBL, KBO, and NPB. There are still no games in Taiwan. The league submitted a proposal to the Taiwanese government last week about restarting 
um, the season with, you know, only essential personnel and special safety per- procedures put in place and stuff like that, but it was denied. So no more CPBL baseball for the foreseeable future. The LG Twins now, they are 500 on the week. They went 3-3, three and three, um, but they fell out of first place, and they are a half game behind the Samsung Lions. Pitching really has not been uh, great this past week, but the hitting was definitely, uh, everything was clicking. They scored more than 10 runs twice in the week, and for the most part, that was against other contending teams. They played the Landers and the Lions, so it shows that the offense... Um, can definitely hang with some of the better teams in the KBO. Their leadoff man, Chang Ki Hong, he got 12 hits over the course of six games. Uh, right fielder, Yu Song Che, he logged 10. Their first baseman, Bog Young Moon, he hit four homers. Hun Soo Kim, the outfielder, he had three homers. You know, it's a, a lot of, a lot of runs were scored. Uh, pitching obviously was much less impressive, but Casey Kelly, their ace, he has years of experience in the KBO being good, so, you know, not someone you should be worried about. And the other guys in the rotation, they have high upside, so, you know, nothing to be worried about. They have they have the ability to shut down other high-powered offenses. They just didn't really do it this week. And last but not least are the Occult Swallows. They went 4-2 and two this week. And coupled with uh, Hanshin Tiger losing streak, they made up a lot of ground between them and first place. And they're only now three and a half games behind, um, which is crazy when you, you think about it. Because a couple of weeks ago, the Tigers are like running away with everything. And they had like a 10-game lead over second place. So obviously, there's still months of baseball to go. And I don't think the Colts Wells are good enough to overtake Hanshin. But you never know. It's a fun run. Yeah. I mean, if they do... They will definitely need Masamune uh, Murakami. And on Wednesday, it looked like, excuse me, Munitaka. What did I say? Masamune. Wrong, wrong name. But uh, it looked like Murakami hurt himself. He fouled the ball off his knees and he's taken out of the game on Wednesday. But luckily, he, he is fine. He didn't actually miss a day. Uh, he was three, he's, he's three and 14 since getting hurt and taking that foul ball. So, Maybe he could have used a day off or two, and that iron mentality isn't necessarily a good thing. But even before that, earlier in the week, he was one and six, so he's just kind of having a down week, I guess. But either way, obviously, as a MVP-type player, the Swallow's success will be very, very much depending on you know Morikami's uh, numbers. Uh, now, before we move on to take a look at the Mets teams here, I want to just take a couple of minutes to discuss an infographic that I saw online from uh, Advocates for Minor Leaguers, which is an organization that advocates and, and fights for better conditions for minor league players, much like uh, Jeremy Wolf's organization more than baseball. Uh, since the Mets and the Phillies are playing this weekend, the... The infographic, it compared how the Mets and the Phillies treat their minor league players. And Philadelphia provides a housing stipend for players. It fully pays for hotel stays on the road. They paid players during spring, extended spring training. And the Mets, on the other hand, do not do any of that. And as we broke down on our podcast, probably at this point, like a year ago or so, 
it costs somewhere between five to ten million dollars, somewhere in that in that range, to fully house players for just five levels now to provide them meals that are just more than grilled cheese and peanut butter and jelly stuff like that, and to pay them fair wages, at least you know minimum wage. And Steve Cohen obviously is. He's the richest owner in baseball by a wide margin. The Mets are one of the most highly valued organizations in baseball. I think there are six out of 30. I don't know when that valuation was made. Probably pretty recent because the Mets are sold and everything. Yeah. But, you know, Major League Baseball is at a all-time high in terms of profitability from all those TV deals and all that kind of stuff. And yet here we are, same with the stuck with the same old bullshit. And Cohen wants to change the culture, you know, with the sexual harassment and the workplace fraternization, all that stuff. Great. How about we start treating our players just as nicely as you treat your executives and treat them with some dignity? You know, he wants to be the cool guy on Twitter and he wants to be the cool guy at the fans and everything like that and not one of the good old boys, but yet He's still one of the gold boys here, not breaking that, you know, that that unofficial agreement that everyone has to artificially depress the labor market and the minor leagues and all that stuff. So it'd be nice if, you know, the guy, this guy can walk the walk and talk the talk. I would, I, I don't disagree with anything you've said. I'll give him, I don't know, like five percent of the benefit of the, of the doubt because it's his first year as owner. I think there's maybe an argument it takes a little time to implement this stuff, but everything else is spot on, I think. If he doesn't do it by next year, then there's no excuse. Yeah, this offseason. Right, like, and especially because he bought the team so late, and then they do the whole GM situation, which is its own separate problem, of course. Like, Not that that excuses any of this stuff on the part of baseball as a whole, but... Yeah, I disagree i mean i mean he could do it right now like some literally of, today. some of that he could do right right exactly you all you have to say is send down a memo to your whoever it is that's in charge of these things we're going to be paying all of our money players for extended spring training from that april from i'm april talking more about now. the housing like the housing stuff would be difficult right. to set up at the drop of a hat right like that's well, I can, the, you I, can I, give stipends for it yeah that's fair like you could you could say we're doing stipends now and then with the idea of setting up full housing for the players into next season because maybe yeah. we can find enough of it now. I don't know. I'm not no, no, that, that's, that's a fair point, absolutely. You know what I mean? I will say the hotel thing to me is the most insane part. What funny, What business doesn't pay for their employees when they're traveling for work? Yeah. <laughs> the Mets apparently, but yeah. <laughs> And of any business, I think the Mets would make the most sense. But it is just, it's, it's, I, I don't even have the words. It's, it's embarrassing. I don't even know embarrassing is not the right word. What is the right word here? I mean, it's disappointing. It's, yeah, uh, it's, it's, like it. it's I'm not necessarily embarrassed because I'm not the one making this decision. Like, right, like the uh, one in charge of the decision, but it's more like, come on, guys, just do this. Like, just be good people and do this. <laughs> like, what does it cost for Steve Cohen in the grand scheme of things to 
pay the minor leaguers and give them housing and stuff like that. Like, it's nothing for him. <laughs> One less painting, I guess. It's, it's infuriating both from a moral standpoint and also just from the, the, the as a fan of the team that wants them to do well, this would be a huge competitive advantage. Just please, please just do it. Infuriating. That's the word I was looking for. That's yeah. There you go. There's no um, way this doesn't pay for itself, like, almost immediately. I and mean, we, we've discussed this many times. Tom Smith. Ooh, yeah. Right there. I mean, this is, this is, I guess, I suppose tangential. But, like, I think it's a pretty well-known fact that the Rays pay their scouts better than anyone else. And that's probably a huge, huge reason why they consistently pump out more talent than everyone yeah, else. Yeah, it was in that athletic article. Right. I mean, it's, a, it's almost like there's a direct corollary in almost anything with how much money you put into it and the quality of the results you get out. And, of mm. course, the Rays have their own problems. Like just, No, no, don't don't get me wrong, please. I'm not <laughs> like, defending no, no, the no, Rays' yeah, I'm not overall that. model. The point is, though, that like, yeah. they invested a little bit more in their scouts. They pay, let's say they have, like, 50 scouts. They pay each of them, I don't know, an extra $100,000 a year, which is probably more than what the, the surcharge is. That's $5 bucks. That's a middle reliever. You think the Rays aren't generating more value than a middle reliever out of paying their scouts that much extra every year? It, it's, I mean, the math is, is nonsensical. Their entire team is, like, on the minimum. Because exactly! Of, like, <laughs> because of how they, they're, they choose to spend their money on the payroll situation. So, like, they're doing it out of necessity, but also I don't know how a team like the Yankees or the Dodgers or even the Mets now with how much money they have. Don't see that. You think, you like, think they'd say, huh, why don't, why don't we just do that? And also spend the money. And then we're just, you know what I mean? Like, then you're just way better than everyone else. I mean, before, before not that the baseballs of economics have, the baseball of economics? <laughs> the economics. <laughs> Oops. The economics of baseball have ever been perfect. But I would argue they used to be a little bit healthier. Right? And this is kind of what the Red Sox did at post Moneyball. They're like, oh yeah, we could do that with money. And now the rich teams just say, oh, we're going to do that. With money, right? Anakin well, face. With money, <laughs> right? <laughs> no. It's literally a market um, inefficiency to like spend money. It's like that one year when the Brewers like got kind of good and made the playoffs when they like paid Lorenzo Cain market value. And everyone was like, wow, they're spending so much. And it's like, well, you're just spending what a veteran would spend, would cost like five years ago. They're just doing something that no one else is doing. And it worked for them. And now they're in, they're going to make the playoffs anyway, not with any of the veterans making their money, but still, you know what I mean? Like that was worth it because how much is it actually affecting the bottom line now that Lorenzo Kane is bad? It doesn't really matter because they're still going to make the playoffs. So like just, you could do both. You could be smart and all, you could do your money ball thing and also you could win the World Series by spending money. Money fixes all problems. We'll spend some goddamn money, baseball. Alright, so let us now take a look at the Mets minor league teams and how they've done this past week. Do we have to talk yes, about Yes, unfortunately... <laughs> Can we just, we could just talk about Brooklyn for like 30 we minutes. We talked about three players on Brooklyn for like 
30 minutes. Yeah, it's better than the alternative of zero players on the other team. Oh, no, one player on Binghamton and, and then no one else. Yeah. Listen, let's just talk about Syracuse and get it out of the way. <laughs> and for anyone who's not realized, Syracuse has been very bad of late. They've been very, very bad. They've been very, very, very bad. Coming into the week, they lost 12 games in a row. Mm. Tuesday's game was postponed because of the whole COVID testing thing. So technically, they didn't lose. So that's great. But then they lost on Wednesday to make it 13 games in a row. Then they lost both halves of the doubleheader on Thursday to make 15 games in a row. Finally, miraculously, astonishingly, they won the game on Friday. They broke the streak. And it was a come-from-behind win, too, so that kind of makes it a little bit better. But they won, and that's all that matters. And as we record now, they have a 12-34 and record. They hold 20 games behind the Scranton, Wilkes-Barre, Railroaders. I went through the standings, <laughs> not only of the AAA East, but in the former PCL, the AAA West, AA, high A, low A, Syracuse is the worst team in all of minor league baseball. There's only one team that's close to being as bad as them, the Vizelia Rawhide, which is an Arizona Diamondback low-A affiliate. They are 13-34, and 34, so they have a half-game lead over Syracuse. But, man, are they bad. Yikes. Yeah. And we, we cover the minors every day between the four of us. One of us is doing the Daily Farm Report on one, you know, any given day. And then, obviously, we do more than just kind of copy and paste the box scores without actually like, reading and understanding what's going on. Like, we'll look at it, we'll write a narrative about what's going on, and we have a good idea of who these players are and everything. And I have to say, on any given day when I'm doing the Syracuse Report, I have, like, no clue how these people <laughs> are, how they got there. Robert Stock pitched the other day. Who's Robert Stock? He pitched against the Mets like a week ago. Uh, I don't know. They they, they claimed him off waivers. Yeah, waiver uh, claim. The um, Cubs. Vance Worley pitched. Where the hell did he come from? Independent ball. Oh well, yes, clearly. And he he was a former Met I mean, legend I, in in I, Vegas. I know who I I know <laughs> who Vance Worley is, but it's like when the hell did he? No, he I know. But I'm kinda, just saying, like yeah. that's so funny that he's literally a retread from Vegas being so bad that they needed to do this. I mean, it, it's, a, it's a combination of two things, I think, right? Like, obviously, the Major League team has been absolutely fucked by injuries, so any quad A guy is now on the Major League roster. Mm-hmm. And also, the three prospects who I think, quote-unquote prospects for some of these, I suppose, that we would mostly care about on this roster, Sapaki, Kolome, and Khalil Lee. Sapaki and Kolome have both been bad. And Khalil Lee is striking out a ton, though he's also walking a ton. But like, not yeah. good enough. Not not good enough to fix all the other problems. Like, there's no. just no prospect capital on this team, and there's no quad A depth on this team. Yeah, it's it's. Cra- I was looking at the roster. There's 36 guys in Syracuse right now. When you take into account rehab assignments and guys from the DL, whatever. Mm-hmm. Of those 36, eight of them, I would say, are guys that are homegrown, that have been in the system for a couple of years now, long enough for us to, like, know them. Harold, Franklin Killame, Stephen Nogasek, Marcel Renteria, Thomas Zipucky, Trey Cobb, David Thompson, Matt Winokur. I'm not, not, I'm not saying that these guys are all good, but these are guys that have been around for a couple yeah. of years. 
So basically two-thirds of the team right now are just like free agent guys that were signed because they, they need ran, someone to play. <laughs> they ran three injuries deep in New York and had to like field the lineup the next day yeah. <laughs> when I mean, like yeah. four guys got called up. It's a good thing they have all this depth because the Mets have been okay as of late, you know, better than okay a little bit, but yeah, it's uh it just highlights how how bad the top of the system is. I'm looking uh, at the uh, roster, I forgot that Arodis Viscaino is on this team. Yeah. I would like we've got no surprise he hasn't on. gotten a chance yet. I yeah, I figured he'd be one of the first guys. I, would, I, don't, I, don't I guess he's probably hurt. Yeah, I think he's still hurt because he hurt his elbow late in spring, but we haven't seen any updates. Yeah. It's just, I think it's one of those things that it's hard. Like, you don't really think about how the major league injuries would affect the minor league system until you see what Syracuse went through. And, mm-hmm. like, it's really not fair to Syracuse to expect them to really do anything when you have to call up like their entire starting lineup to the majors to so the Mets can play Atlanta. <laughs> and then like and like the domino effect of that is it then causes your triple A team to field a team that is not good enough to play in triple A, even with how whatever the minor leagues have been as a whole this year. Like it's just it's the domino effect of all the injuries in, in Queens and we don't see it every day because obviously not everyone's watching Syracuse play all the time. But when you're doing the minor league reports and you're like, Jesus, they've signed four more dudes out of indie ball and they're all bad because like they, they have to. It's almost like every day there's a new random dude on the roster because someone else got called up and it's, it's, it's hard. Definitely feel bad for those Syracuse season ticket holders. If they exist, I'm sure they exist. There's at least two. At least two. And they both listen to the podcast, so. Both are. Which ones of our moms? <laughs> <laughs> Alright, let's move on now to the Binghamton Rumble Ponies, who are a little bit more tolerable. They won some this week, they lost some, some, yeah. They lost some this week, they won some this week. They are two and three. And they are just starting Sunday's game uh, very soon, or it actually just started. So depending on how that goes, they're either going to be 500 for the week or one game under 500 for the week. But they have a 14-31 and 31 record, which is not great. And that is 16 and a half games behind the Somerset Patriots in the AA Northeast-Northeast. Um, there are some players, some standouts. Um we were talking about him a couple of weeks ago, Hayden Sanger. He's still maintaining that bat bip. He only played in two <laughs> games this week. So it dropped slightly from 500 to 474. But it'll be fun to see uh, how long he can keep that going because he is their, basically their primary catcher. He gets, you know, four games a week or so. And he has been with Binghamton for about a month. So he does have a month of, of maintaining basically a 500 bat bip. So. <laughs> I mean, good for him. Yeah, mm-hmm. hey. Uh, Jake Mangum, he was super hot when when the Mets first promoted him to Binghamton. He cooled off uh, very much, but he had a good week this week. He had two three-hit games, and he had two homers over the span of four days. So he's hitting like 241, 261, 402 with a 293 bat bip. That seems a little bit lower than a guy, you know, a guy like Mangum probably could be running. You know, he's very slappy. Yeah, speed oriented. So 
you know, I, I expect him to do a little bit better. And the backup's going to rise, and then it'll yeah. get right to where we think it should be. Um, Carlos Cortez, he added seven more hits this week, including two doubles and a homer. And he is currently hitting 297, 364, 564 with eight homers now. That so is impressive. With Cortez, it's the same thing with Miguel that I don't necessarily think that they're good, but they've played well. Like, Miguel pitched well enough to get a shot, even though I don't know if he's going to be a good major league player. And I think if Cortez keeps playing like this, he's going to get a shot. I don't know if he's good enough to be in the majors, but he's playing himself into gets called up for like three weeks in a year because every because guys got hurt. You know what I mean? But at this point, why the hell is he? Why is he still in Double A at this point? Yeah, just call him up to Triple A at this point. God Let him do it. Use Well, last but definitely not least is Mark Vientos, and he went 7-16 for 16 this week. And Binghamton, yeah, they're playing right now, so he might add to that. But he went 7-16 for 16 with a double and four home runs. So in the month of June, he is hitting 300, 382, 767, with four doubles, eight homers, six walks, and 16 strikeouts. So if you add that to his really, really cold May... He's up to a, a perfectly fine for the year, 261, 325, 565, with nine doubles, 11 homers, 12 walks, and 47 strikeouts. I went back and watched some games from earlier in the year um, on MILB TV, and then I was looking at you know some more recent games from June. I did not see anything that really stuck out as being drastically different. You know, his stance, stride, swing path, it all looked pretty similar to my admittedly very untrained eye. That's basically, yeah, I, I'm far from a hitting coach. And as you guys know, the the, the quality of those uh, MILB TV feeds vary. Yeah. But I mean, everything, everything looked the same to me. Now, here's the thing. Uh, I don't want to be a stick in the mud, <laughs> but he, he, you know, he credit credits due. He really went off these last few weeks. Is it a coincidence that in these same couple of weeks that he went off, the Rumble Ponies were facing the New Hampshire Fisher Cats, the Bowie Bay Sox, the Portland Sea Dogs, and the Reading Fighting Phils, all of whom are the worst pitching teams in the AA Northeast? Only, and, and only Binghamton themselves and the Hartford Yard Goats are have have worse pitching. I mean, still got to hit them though. Yeah, you do, you do. That's what I'm saying. I, I mean, I don't want to credit where credit is due. Yeah, I get what you're saying. All that though, you know, even if he does come crashing back down to earth to whatever degree once they start facing some other teams, there is still a lot of good to take away from here. Mm-hmm. Uh, Vientos is, I didn't realize, I mean, it seems like it should be obvious, but it, I didn't really realize it. Vientos is the second youngest player in the East, in Double A, um, Northeast. Only Riley Green is younger. He has a, a 135 WRC plus right now, taking into account that May. He Pretty skipped cool. over high A completely. And made the jump from basically low A to double A with a year off in between. So that probably makes it a lot more difficult. Um, yeah. 
he's still showing some some of those issues against off-speed pitches, but he's not striking out right now these last couple of weeks at the same rate that he was earlier in the year. So, I don't know. I'm, you know, I've always been a very big Vientos fan. You guys know that. Now that he's doing good, I feel like it's just kind of like my personality. Like, he's doing yes. good. So I need to, like, look everything super critically so I could tear it all down, you know? But <laughs> I mean, good for him, honestly, because he yeah. was real bad to start the season. Like, he couldn't hit anything. So it's really it's, impressive to see how much he's turned it around. It's, it's I mean... Just in June, it's, look, I've been probably the biggest Vientos detractor. He's only striking out 24% of the time. His BABIP's only 280, and he's got a weighted of 200. Mm-hmm. That's, <laughs> there, there's, like, he's not that, but there's some real improvement there. Like, you don't, I don't think that's just, What's Voros's law, right? Like anything can happen in 60 plate appearances or whatever, or 60 games, whatever the fuck it is. So yeah, could that be anything? Maybe. And minor league pitching is garbo this year, especially the Eastern League. So, but but still, that that looks semi-real. Yeah. And like, I feel like we've been talking about Vientos forever, but he's only 21. Like. It's not out of the realm of possibility for him to take the next step. It's not like he's 25 and we're like, it's some post-hype guy. He's still very young. Like, most 21-year-olds are not in the majors at this point. So, like, he still has a few years to really continue to develop. And hopefully, like, for me, hopefully, because I like the DH. But hopefully we get the DH soon and that opens up another spot for the Mets to have a bat. And... You won't necessarily make Brett Beatty play left field like he did yesterday. Like, <laughs> we'll we'll get to that. Yeah, but um, I don't know. It's just it's it's nice to see him do that, and I also think that he's going to be the first guy traded if they make trades. So that'll be funny if he finally figures it out and that happens. But we'll see. Nothing else boosting that trade value. Mm-hmm. Although to be honest, there is not really much that'd be happy with as a return in a trade. Yeah, it's a weird deadline. All right, now let's move on to the Brooklyn Cyclones. Um, Cyclones that played Jersey Shore at home this week. They went 3-2 and two against them with some exciting come-from-behind late-inning victories. And then depending on how they do in this game that they're playing right now, either they'll have a 500-week or a 4-2 and two week. Um, and if they have that 4-2 and two week, they'll gain some ground on the first-place Hudson Valley Renegades. Right now, they are 16-28, 13 games back. Um, the Renegades are kind of starting to run away with things because they have an eight-game winning streak going, and they're 14-3 and three in the last couple of weeks. Uh, <laughs> I wish we had a good team like that, damn. <laughs> uh, basically, the odds of Cyclones going on a run like that are probably not too likely because they're very top-heavy. There's basically the big three. There's a couple of interesting complimentary players who are guys that are not going to like embarrass themselves and then you just have some really bad pitching yeah yeah there's literally nobody on the pitching side no yeah that's I mean, that's the problem for them mm-hmm. uh so looking at the big three let's start with ronnie mauricio now and this week uh he had something of a down week no not something really he definitely had a down week he went two for 21 both of those hits were singles and he did not walk once, so that's not good. 
But let's be a positive podcast here for change. He only struck out twice all week, so that's good. Steve, why are you shutting me down like this? <laughs> <laughs> Listen, strikeouts are definitely a big problem for him, but he's starting to get that under control. Um, the last two weeks, he's only struck out three times. And the first two weeks of the month, he struck out 17 times. So that he's is a pretty stark difference there. Still the guy I trade first. I think the Mets agree with you. Look, I'm I'm de- I'm working real hard as the Mets right now to find someone who thinks he's a seven and get him out the door. Listen, work those phones, work those phones, man. I think it happens in the off season just to maximize the amount of time you get with the next person, unless it's someone under control for a few years. But yeah. I think that's the guy that they deal to make the team better, just because his <laughs> he's a shortstop and you gave a lot of money to Francisco. You know what I mean? Like, yeah, it's. It's the perfect time to get him, to trade him, while people still like him and um, he hasn't moved off shortstop yet. Like, you're still playing him there and you can pitch him as one to other teams. If if not for the Mariners and their, I don't know what his contract situation is exactly, or not that, uh, how they feel about trading guys they signed for Japan, I'd be looking pretty hard at, like, Mitch Haniger and Yusei Kikuchi from the Mariners. That's probably my favorite group of guys to trade him for if they would do that, but I don't know that they would. Didn't they have some, like, young kid come up and he was, like, 0 for 70 or something like that? Yeah. Some outfielder? Yeah. yeah. Maybe, we can, yeah. maybe we can get that 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 guy. <laughs> yeah, well, by low, take him off your hands. Like, we'll, we'll, we'll take him. Seems fair. Alright, uh, Brett Beatty now, he went 4 for 15 with a walk and 6 strikeouts, and all 4 of his hits were extra base hits, which is nice. He had 3 doubles and then a homer. And of course, his home run was an opposite field homer, <laughs> and it was just his second home run at home. I mean, that's a hell of a ballpark to hit one home run out. <laughs> it's weird, like, even though he's, you know, he's a lefty, and that stadium is obviously deaf to left-handed hitters, but he goes to the opposite field so naturally and so easily yeah. and with so much power all the time. I'm surprised he doesn't have more home runs at home. Yeah. Just he's, he's just missed a few. Um, yeah, yeah, he has, he has, he has. Like, any, any other dimensions, he's probably has a few more to his name, so I'm not necessarily worried about the power. I think oh, no, it'll not, pay up in other places. Definitely not worried. It's like a weird, it's an a weird factor. Yeah, it's an oddity. <laughs> Another oddity is seeing him in left field, as we did Saturday night. Sure. <laughs> uh, it's, uh, he had only a couple of opportunities to prove himself, which I, I guess is good, bad, I don't know. But his first put out, it came in the fourth inning, no issues. In the sixth inning, there was a ball hit to him, uh, bounced off the wall. He played played it off the carom fine. In the ninth inning, there was a ball hit down the line. He had to hustle to, you know, get it in what was eventually a double. But, you know, he didn't do anything egregiously bad or anything. So three opportunities. Nothing looked horrible. But just, just why? Why must the Mets do things like this? Do you think they're looking towards giving him a promotion and juggling him and Vientos? Yes, that's exactly why. Because I think they're doing the same thing with Vientos today. They've been moving Vientos. They've been splitting, I don't want to say 50-50, but Vientos has been playing a lot of first base. The the, the, the thing doesn't 
even have an actual first baseman on the roster right now, I don't think. So you don't, you you know, if if you're going to put them both on the same team, you could put Beatty at third and put Vientos at first, and you don't need to, like, get fancy. Yeah, but I think you still want to give Vientos some first base time, or third base time, excuse me, and I think you all, I have less of a problem with this than you guys. Like, I don't have a problem with them. I don't really that. have a problem with it either. I don't it's have Because I, I think Batty might end up, like, a pretty good corner outfielder. Mm-hmm. I don't, I originally, when I first saw it, I was just like, what the hell? Like, why, why are we going to do this? Why are we going to have a Lucas do this situation? Why are you going to do this to themselves? But, I would say he'd probably be a better outfielder than that. Yeah. The thing I, is, I also think it's better to, it's not a Lucas Duda situation because they're doing it in the minors. You know? Exactly. Right. They're not he just is, throwing him into the deep end, you know, at City Field. Beatty is like a big kid and he's built and everything like that, but he's played football and he's played basketball in high school which is not that long ago and he was good at both of them and both of those sports inquire they require running and adjustments based on where the ball's going and like awareness of of where you're going and all that kind of stuff so i don't think he's actually going to be like that bad of uh of an outfielder not going to be a gold glove defender or nothing like that but he's yeah. not going to be bad but it I, just it just seems so unnecessary i also think it's one of those things where like versatility is so sought after now that like you're not putting yourself into a box if you come across a a Matt Chapman trade and you have a third baseman of the future then like you're not like oh Beatty has nowhere to play now but if you teach him how to play left field now like I don't know I don't know if I would necessarily do that um and do it the way the Mets are doing it but I think I kind of understand the reasoning of just moving guys around because that's what you do in modern baseball Man, modern mm. baseball sucks. <laughs> Let's go back to old time baseball. No one used gloves, and balls were caked with mud and tobacco juice and other substances. Guys were paid in beer and stuff. Hell yeah! Hell yeah! <laughs> I bet the owners would like that part actually to go back to that. Mm. All right. Well, last but not least, now is Francisco Alvarez, and he missed a couple of days early in the week because the foul ball knocked him in the nuts, and he definitely deserved a couple of days off. But, like, I guess... Jesus Christ. It, yep. it released some extra testosterone in him or something because he's gone off. Um, he went two for three at the walk in both games that he played in since coming back. He hit a home run in both of those games... And not only were those home runs homers, but they were moonshot homers. Oh, that one from last night hasn't landed yet. I don't yeah, think. no, uh, I'm pretty sure he knocked it over the roller coaster. Yeah, the first one went over the video scoreboard in left center, over that over that replica uh, cyclone on the on the scoreboard. So straight down the line, it's 3:15. Dead center is 4:12. So that screen is probably like 3:75. We'll estimate. Yeah. Take into, power from take into account, girl. yeah, the wind is blowing in from right. I can actually and, get an answer to this right now. Oh, okay. Well, there you go. Google Earth. Earth. <laughs> oh, damn. We're really breaking out the uh, heavy equipment. <laughs> <laughs> Your number one Google Earth podcast. I don't know if that's true, though. So Probably not. There's a lot of weird podcasts out there. But in order to clear that scoreboard, wherever it exactly is, and we'll get to you in a moment about that, but... It would need enough height and velocity to fight the wind, and the wind was blowing in at 14 miles an hour. So it need to fight the wind. Oh, it's an SAT question. Oh, damn. Word problems. <laughs> you do math, right? 
Uh, yeah, but I, I, I have to admit I zoned out for the last 30 seconds there. What am I doing? <laughs> Just like calculating yes. the wind of Brooklyn to see how hard he hit a ball. To, okay. Um, Francisco Alvarez. Well, we know from the next day, his second home run, which basically went about the same spot, that it was only 94 exit velocity off the bat on a slider. He absolutely turned on it, but don't know about that first one. But still, I mean, to get to clear that, it's three 375, whatever. It's about 20 to 20 feet high. So that's a very well hit ball. So that scoreboard is between 340 and 360 feet, depending on mm, okay. where, because it's, it's kind of like a slant. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So depending on where exactly. Uh, so he cleared it by quite a bit. Yeah, no. Like, yeah. It was, it was he cleared it on a line or on like a really high, high really shot? Really high high shot. All right, then it might have only gone 380. Oh, only. Only uh, 380. <laughs> I think he definitely got 400. There's... um. Like a little fence that separates it from the uh, the amusement park. Sure, I'm pretty sure he got it into the uh, the amusement park area. Mm-hmm. Here's a here's a random Coney Island factoid. So the Thunderbolt, which is the roller coaster that's right next to the stadium, it's kind of new. It's the newer version. There was an old roller coaster called the Thunderbolt in that lot. Approximately used... 550 feet from home plate. Oh damn. <laughs> And underneath that roller coaster, the owner of the property and of the co- coaster had a house underneath the roller coaster. Imagine living under a roller coaster. Not a great idea. Not a great idea. Not good I would to sleep. lose my mind. <laughs> the only the only thing the every time I watch one of these highlights from the cyclone this is a total aside now every time I watch one of these uh, cyclones highlights where you see the roller coaster in the background the only thing I can think of is that old roller coaster tycoon meme uh-huh. where you could make your park launch people into yeah. the park next to the you so that they died in their park lowering their popularity and sending more oh. people into your park that's awesome make, so. Not that I'm saying that's what the cyclones are doing. <laughs> well, I've never been on that Thunderbolt. I never will. I have been on the cyclone once to impress a girl. I will never do that again either. So. Oh, I uh, hate uh, roller coasters, so get them out of here. Really? I love, I roller, love roller coasters. I can't. I can't nope. do it. I don't like heights either. So like, nope. 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 When I'm up there and I'm just like, oh, this is how it ends. Is I just go flying <laughs> off this thing. Roller coaster tycoon style to bring it back. But. <laughs> well, to bring it all the way back now, Alvarez is hitting 288, 389, 613 in 25 games for Brooklyn. That well, is a the youngest player as the youngest player by like a significant margin too, right? No, by at least a full year. He's the yeah. only 19 year old in in yeah. the league. He has a 168 RC plus. Look, is, Alv- is Alvarez good? Yes, like he's a catcher, so. It always could happen where the 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 Mejias of the world are look like can't miss catcher prospects and the next big thing, and then they're like average major leaguers. So you never know. But damn, if he's not good, <laughs> like right I, now, I think he can really fucking hit. Yeah, like it's gonna be funny if he's gonna be if he ends up one of those catchers who hits so well that they move him <laughs> because they're like we can't have him catching like you know like how that happens sometimes. But I don't know, man. It's it's hard for. I'm sh- I try to like balance my logical. Oh, catchers sometimes don't end up what you think they're gonna be, even if you think 
even if you're very staunch with it because of how hard it is to develop as a catcher. And he's slugging 600 at 19. So, like, <laughs> you know, like, it's hard to balance those two, but I'm excited about him. Your Francisco I, I think... Mejia comp scares me a little bit because Mejia at 19 in advanced day had a 140, and suddenly I'm like, oh, shit. That's <laughs> what I'm saying. And, like, like, sometimes the dudes just... The, the catchers especially, they just lose it a little bit, and it's like, I don't want to put that on him because uh-huh. it's not fair because sometimes they're Buster Posey and they become the best catcher in baseball for a while, and JT Riomuto and Grendahl and plenty of catchers work because there's catch, there's 32 of them, well, double that. But also, there's a lot of instances of the catcher prospects being really, really good and then kind of not developing because of everything else they have to do. It's so. possible, but I, I really think he's... Legit. Like, I think he get hit is the thing. Like, I just think he'll be able to hit, even if he ends up like a DH or a first baseman or some shit, like, put him at third like Pablo Sandoval, I don't care. But, like, <laughs> like he's. I think he's going to be able to hit, and that's the important thing. Well, we will continue following his career with great interest. Real quick before right, we calm leave down Francisco. there, Senate. <laughs> <laughs> How high realistically do you think he ends up in like a top hundred prospects in baseball this year? He's gonna be. I think there's a chance he gets up to top ten. Yes. Yeah, I think so. If he, I think he's he's really, really good. He might be top fifteen on the the upcoming midseason fifty. Honestly, I think there's a non-zero chance that happens. He's gonna be top twenty-five. Yeah, so I, I think there's feel a like real chance I, he gets into the top 15 in top in midseason top 50 list. I honestly can't see anything lower than like 30. Yeah, 30 is his base floor, I think too. Yeah. Like just accounting for he's young and hasn't played a lot, but like there's a realistic shot he ends up playing in Double A this year as a 19 year old. Very late in the year, yeah, but I think you give him as much time as possible. Entirely possible. I hope not, just because to be greedy and. Get to see him more. Yeah, no, I, I don't want him all the time. to get promoted. Yeah. Uh, just stay in Brooklyn forever, please. Just, just should, a while longer. I need to get, like, two more looks. It's just funny to me how, like, bad this minor league season has been for the Mets, and also Beatty and Alvarez look like they've taken the next step. So, like, sometimes I, I look at those boxers, and I'm like, oh, yeah, he went four for five. And they I mean, lost. It's kind, of, it's kind of funny, right? Like, we came into the season just saying, yeah, this system's really top-heavy. And four months in, we're like, yeah, this system's even more top-heavy now. <laughs> it's just gotten, like, there's, like, three top 100 prospects, if you consider Mauricio, which I think he'll make the list, even, like, even if we don't really love him as much here. But, like... <laughs> and then nothing else. And Allen would be, too, if he was healthy, I think. Listening, just, listening in on... For those of you who don't know, BP's doing these really great Monday night talks on Twitch of all places. Oh, yeah, it's, pretty, yeah. it's pretty poggers where they talk <laughs> about their list process. And reading between the lines, I think all three of Mauricio, Beatty, and Alvarez are probably going to sneak into the top 30. And they should. They deserve it. And I, I don't if, agree on Mauricio, but... A healthy, a healthy Allen would be there, too, probably. And also, the Mets system is, like, last in entirety of baseball and record. So, like... Well, they have they have one good team that we can discuss now, the St. Lucie Mets. And they went two and three and they are they were winning today's game last time I checked. I think that they won. So it looks like it's gonna be a five hundred week for them. And that means that they're gonna be twenty six and twenty two on the year. 
And that is still first place in, in the low A Southeast East, a couple of games ahead of the pack. Um, JT Ginn, he, he pitched against, uh, Dunedin, the Blue Jays, and his style was pretty much almost identical to his quote unquote clunker a couple of weeks ago against the Hammerheads. Three runs from five innings with four hits allowed, two walks, five strikeouts. But the underlying numbers, you know, everything looked fine. He even hit 95 with the fastball, which is the hardest that he's thrown all year. So that's nice. But, you know, nothing nothing looked bad. So that's all that really matters. Outside of literally getting, like, lit up by 10, like, as long as he gets out of these games relatively healthy and solid, I don't really mind this year. Yep. Another guy that... Back from Tommy John, just finish the year with your elbow intact. Mm-hmm. Another guy that looked very solid was this week was Alex Ramirez. Um, yes. He was two and four with a homer in today's game, and he was five and seventeen before that. So he's seven for twenty-one on the week with a double, a triple, and a homer, which brings him to, if my math is correct, two sixty, three twenty-five, five hundred on the year. So that is definitely very encouraging as a eighteen-year-old with like twenty games under his belt. Mm-hmm. What we want to see. There's such stuff that puts you on the map. Mm-hmm. Uh, Jalen Palmer, he had three multi-hit games this week. And then again, factoring today's game, he is 7 for 16 on the week with a double, a triple, uh, two walks, and three strikeouts. Strikeouts are still a little bit of an issue yeah. for him, but he, he did control them this week, so that's good. Yeah, he's got to get that down if he's going to uh, make strides. He can't strike out like that, but I like him. Like, he's just one of those dudes that I like. Like, I want to see him do well. Mm-hmm. Uh, another guy who's quietly having himself a very good season in St. Lucie is Jose Peraza. Excuse me, Jose Peraza. Uh, through 38 games, he's hitting 266, 435, 430, with four homers, 32 walks, and 39 strikeouts. And he went 7 4 16 this week with two doubles, a homer, six walks, and one strikeout. Now, he's not old. He just turned 21 a couple of days ago. Um, I'm not sure if we want to call 21 age-appropriate or not in St. Louis anymore since the, you know, the, the rezoning of the minor leagues, whatever you want to call it, has kind of made things a little weird because he is a guy that has a couple of years of experience under his belt in rookie ball and then short A, and he is competing against guys who are really just first getting their feet wet. So I don't know. He's going to get promoted, I think. Yeah, um, but he's he's having a, a pretty solid season. Yeah. Uh, the book, book on him coming into the season is basically he was a, a power overhead guy, which pretty much was what the numbers did show. But all of a sudden this year he's you know he's hitting solidly, but he's walking at at an insane pace. Eighteen point nine percent walk rate right now. Yeah, that's inject, inject the plate discipline gods into my yeah. veins. Yeah. Will Toffee, I learned no lessons from you whatsoever. <laughs> uh, you know, the bat if it's 349, a little bit, you could see some regression, but that's not like it's crazy high or anything like that. Like 349. Yeah, like, people run that sometimes. Yeah, if they so, hit the ball really hard. I mean, like you said, a Proza promotion is probably imminent. He is a third baseman, and he's probably just of limited course. to corner. But, you know, maybe maybe that's why Beatty is getting some some time. That left. could be it, too. Yeah, in the reverse sense, where they want mm-hmm. to call him up and Beatty needs a place to play. But. Because I don't think that Perosa can play anywhere else, whereas Beatty, I think, can. 
mm-hmm. Rosa is like, what is he? I want to say off the top of my head, he's like 5'10", 230, yeah. something He like might that. be able to play first, but, I mean, like, are you going to stick him that first? He's short, 5'10". Five, five, Plus, we have Joe Genord at first base. Exactly. And he's <laughs> going to be a minor league legend. Actually, he's a little bit, he's a little bit taller than it. He's six foot one, 220. I thought he was a little shorter than that. He's but still. definitely not a full six foot one. <laughs> no. <laughs> yeah. He's, he's also funny because he's like, I'm sure you guys have those too, but those guys who always show up doing stuff on your prospect reports, he always does something when I do the prospect reports. It's always like him driving in a run. I'm like, oh, fake Jose Peraza, you're back. Like, <laughs> Uh, let's see what other. I feel like St. Lucie. It's like it's just it's just a hodgepodge of like random guys who are just having mm-hmm. crazy years. Warren Saunders right now he's hitting a on the week he's hitting a cool five hundred four sixty seven six seventy four this week thanks to a sack fly. So <laughs> I love when there's weirdness like that. Um, we were talking about BatBip or a little bit earlier with Hayden Sanger. Joe Suozzi, he's also running a crazy high BatBip. It's 460 on the year. And in the 19 games that he's playing in total, St. Lucie is a 315, 405, 370 line thanks to that BatBip. So I think that makes him the best nepotism pick that the Mets have ever had. <laughs> it's a pretty low bar. It is. I mean, I'm trying to. Uh, I was trying to think about other guys that were blatant nepotism picks. All I could really remember was Daniel Alfonso, who went to college and just has not pursued baseball since, and Mike Piccolo, who is the son of Kansas City Royals GM. Um, whenever. No, or, or maybe not the GM, assistant GM. I don't know. His last name is Piccolo, but. He he didn't sign with the Mets, and he's actually eligible to be. Wait, they drafted Piccolo's son. They drafted Gohan. Yes. Although, how the hell did that not work out? This is too niche a joke for the podcast. Never mind. No, I um, I, we all we I should say we all know. We I would hope that we all know Dragon Ball Z. Oh yeah. Okay, so he had to fight in in the Cell Saga. Uh, Lucas, like, he, he couldn't pursue baseball. What are we doing? He's, he's in the hyperbolic time chamber yeah. right now. He's going to come out at, like, age 23. He's going to come out in 15 years and be only and be a god. Yeah, he's going to be Mike Trout times two because he's been in the hyperbolic time, trainer hitting, time chamber hitting uh, fastballs. Or, alternatively, he could be the great Saiyan man, in which case it's just all huh. <laughs> We don't want that. All right, well, I think we've pretty much lost everybody at this point. Yeah. <laughs> well, in that case, let's go to Oh Yeah, That Guy. And on this week, back in 2013, this starter had a pretty good outing for the St. Lucie Mets. He threw five-plus innings of scoreless baseball against the Bradenton Marauders. He allowed five hits. He walked two, and he struck out eight. And this man was Rainy Lara. That's a good name. Rainey was signed as a international free agent in 2009. He was really good in the DSL 2010 and then in the GCL in 2011. We know at those levels, though, you know, the numbers are more or less meaningless. But he really broke out into the scene in 2012 when he pitched with the Brooklyn Cyclones. Him is a bunch of good names. Uh, him, Luis Sessa, Gabriel Inoa, Hansel Robles, Luis Mateo, and to a much lesser degree, Julian Hilario. 
They combined to form one of the best pitching staffs in minor league baseball that year, ignoring level of difficulty and all that kind of stuff. The five of them combined to allow 110 earned runs in 40, in 413 innings, which comes out to a collective 240 ERA for all six of them, which is very good. And that basically, I would say, is where we figured out that Coney Island makes pitchers look really, really good who probably aren't really, really good. Mm-hmm. Um, Randy Lara was promoted to Savannah in 2013. He was pretty decent there, but things started catching up to him when he was promoted to St. Lucie mid-year. Uh, he wasn't necessarily bad there, but basically he went from pitching from Coney Island to pitching at Historic Grayson Stadium to now pitching at St. Lucie, which is, you know, it slightly skews towards pitching, but not in the way that Coney Island does and not in the way that uh, Grayson Stadium does. And then 2014, he was promoted to Binghamton, and the reels really came off there. And he spent the next couple of years basically bouncing... Up and down, back and forth between Binghamton and Las Vegas before eventually getting his minor league free agency in 2016. And he went unsigned, and he has not played in affiliated baseball since, but he did spend a couple of years playing in Venezuela and in Mexico in the winter leagues there. And then he played for the Bridgeport Bluefish and then the New Britain Bees uh, in the Atlantic League. But he hasn't played professionally since 2019. Um... And I feel like with Corona and everything that's happened, you know, last year, I'm guessing that in the future, there's going to be a lot of guys when we start looking at it that had their careers end professionally uh, in 2020. But, you know, Rainey was, had stuff that was fine for the lower levels of the minor leagues and was really stretched at the upper levels. And that's basically why he stalled out at double like so many other guys. He was a two-pitch pitcher. He had like a fastball and a slider. And neither one of them were particularly good, um, which is funny because the numbers were so good early in, in, in the earlier part of his career. Um, fastball sat like 88 to 91, and the slider was in the high 70s, and he had a couple of different ways he could throw it, you know, tighter and loopier, but he basically telegraphed it all the time. And his mechanics were terrible. Um, he didn't use his body well. He threw with a lot of arm. Miraculously, though, he didn't have any arm problems. It did cause him to basically flame out pretty quickly in games and lose effectiveness fast. Even though he was a starter for his entire career, and he usually threw, you know, 20, 25 starts every year, he he averaged like five or six innings, so he didn't really go deep. I think just looking back at his career, it really highlights how much has changed in terms of uh, prospect coverage and, and just kind of like minor league developmental thought in general because he was at one point a top prospect in the system according to Amazing Avenue. He was I think in the 30s. Now, if we were doing our prospect, you know, we don't go 30 deep anymore, but, you know, if you are considering someone, you know, let's say 25, that last spot, and you had a guy like Renny Lara, a guy that had not great mechanics, had a fastball that sat 88 to 91, and a slider that he got strikeouts with, but he telegraphed all the time. Would you rank that guy? No. Yeah. No. Hey, well, in this system, maybe because it's so garbo, but on principle, yeah. the principle of your question, no. And I think that just shows how, in the last couple of years, how, you know, 
specialized, I guess, pitchers mm-hmm. have become, or I don't know what the right word is, but I mean, a guy like that, you're not going to give real any consideration to. Also, I mean, a guy like that would be stuck in the, would be put in the bullpen even in the minors pretty yeah. quick. He was Before. definitely miss, miscast as a starter for basically his entire career. Yeah, I think they would have given him the chance to start, and once it didn't work in, at Binghamton, they'd be like, all right, you're a reliever now. Go have fun in the pen. But, I mean, this was, you know, 10 years ago, give or take. It's just crazy to think about. Like, you don't really realize it as you're living it, but so much has just changed, like, in the span of 10 years, which is crazy in terms of baseball and everything. And now, finally, the Wilpondry of the Week. And this is something that escaped my notice, so I'm going to need to rely on you guys a little bit more. But Major League Baseball has some bad all-star uniforms, I hear. Yeah, uh, sure, I have a, as always, I have a rant. Um, <laughs> honestly, this is one of like the most fun things unique to baseball, right? Like the all-star game in the other major sports is stupid because they're fundamentally team sports and you get a bunch of guys together and it doesn't work. Like the, no one's playing, no one's trying to play defense in the NBA level. No one's trying to make hits in football. I imagine it's a similar setup in hockey, right? So it's not even a real game. But the major oh, league hockey Oscar- is like they split it up into like smaller games. It's a whole thing. Like you yeah, could- <laughs> they made, made it major, like, like major league uh, baseball has the best all star game, I think. And it was always a really nice nuance that just because of the way baseball was, you could also see your favorite players out there for your team in their uniform. Like Next that was always cool. Team. Next to other players and other uniforms. Right. Like, it was like unique was and interesting and fun. And MLB was like, blatant cash grab, make some all-star uniforms. And let's be clear, that's 100% the reason they did this. And like, if they were good, I still might be a little annoyed. But I'd be like, okay, that's a cool uniform. They're awful. So they've been creeping towards this with like making different jerseys for like the home run derby and stuff. And I'm fine with that. Like, uh-huh. If you want to keep the actual game, the only thing in the in the regular jerseys and everything else is you want to have a fun home run derby jersey based on the where you're at, like what stadium or in the city yeah, and stuff like that. They've always done that. Yeah, and I think that's cool. Like I think it's cool to have two different ones because sure, it's still a cash grab because then like oh I I bought the Jacob Degrom like All Star game one like the All Star one in, instead, but also you saw Jacob Degrom strike out the side in the Mets blue and orange again you know what i mean like that was cool and then you're gonna see it in this weird soccer looking uniform because that's really what it looks like to me it's way too close to those awful players weekend uniforms that they had the first player weekend uniforms were so good too yeah that first group with like the mets was the blue and orange like pullover and it was like really team color oriented and then they went with like all white and all black and it was like the hell is that but like i don't know they were, they're just like they look like soccer jerseys, and it's bad. The hat's also really bad. And it's like it was it was one of the coolest little new like the, what was wrong with the patch? You had like a a, a, a stadium specific patch hat with a patch on it, perfect. Sell right, that. and then you get to wear your actual uniform, and it's like oh this is cool. And I don't, I don't know I'm. And, and like I like the home run jerseys they've been home run derby jerseys they've been using are also like good looking, not this crap. I like the Miami one. 
when Degrom and Conforto went. I think I really liked that that um, All Star jersey. Mm-hmm. It was like dark blue and red. It was really nice. So basically, what you're saying is Major League Kiss Baseball can't do anything right. Yes. Hmm. Seen that one coming from a mile away. It, I mean, it amazes me. It feels like it, like you need three marketing graduates who are baseball fans and a week of work to do a better job marketing the sport than they've done in the last decade. And it's like they, it's not like the jerseys recently have been overly bad. Like a lot of people like the City Connect jerseys that have come out. Like they started off with the weakest one so far with the Red Sox one, but the the Miami one is fun and. The White Sox one, I like that one a lot. It's it's different. And, like, I kind of expected an All-Star jersey to be better based on what they've been putting out recently. This is towards Nike, not MLB, because they're the ones who design it. And they were just, like, very – it's a very busy, pot, like, corner of a jersey that has all the stuff on it. It's very weird. And the hat is really bad. But the hats are never really good, like, when they change up the hats. They have a hard time finding a good hat. Well, I mean, outside of Degrom and and nope. I guess Strowman and Walker, we don't need to worry about any Mets going to the All Star game. And so. Degrom would start it, but he's he's going to be with the way his pitching schedule is lined up, he's not going to be able to pitch. Mm-hmm. He would have pitched like two or three days before. I mean, well, Pete said he's going to be in the home run derby. That's true. That's true. Mm, so that's true. Yeah, I forgot about that. Home run derby in Colorado. That's going to be fun. All right. So now that we've shit on MLB, I'll give them credit for making generally good home run derby choices. Shohei, Pete, Trey Mancini is an excellent inclusion. Yeah, the Trey Mancini one is awesome. Well well done. Doesn't make up for your other bullshit, but you good, you did good. <laughs> yeah. And well, if I wasn't rooting for so. Pete and or Shohei so hard, I'd definitely be rooting for Mancini. No, yeah, for sure. It's so cool letting him do that. God, I can't wait to see Shohei hit a ball 600 feet in Colorado. <laughs> it's going to be so good. He might do that in a regular season game, the way he's hitting balls. Yeah, but he doesn't get to go to Colorado. <laughs> That's true. I'm just saying in general, somewhere else. He almost he hit the back wall of the trop like two days ago. It's, I don't know, dude. The dude's not human. Break out Google Earth again. How far is Los Angeles from Colorado? Huh. Let's see. <laughs> <laughs> All right, well, while Ken is looking that up, if you have any questions, comments, or whatever, you can send us an email at our email address from complexthequeens at gmail.com. You can follow us on Twitter and shoot us questions there. I'm at Steve Seiple. Lucas is at Elvlahus343. Ken is at KenLevin91. And Thomas is at SadMetSeason, S-Z-N. Subscribe to the podcast wherever you get your podcast from, rate and review it. And, of course, thank you for listening. And we will be back next week. So until then, love the Mets. Love the Mets.